Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Today we will be discussing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. This is the first episode of Season 2, Beyond the Text, where we dive into a reread of the series after talking to people who loved it so very much. And now we will be uh, talking about the many reasons we love it and the things that we don't love about it and what the text means to us now in this really different time in our lives than most of us were the first time we watched it or the first time we read it <laughs> or watched it, both. <laughs> if you've been listening to the show, you know that I am Madison. I am a Gryffindor. And my name is Rebecca and I am in Hufflepuff. Let's get started with our chapter summary. So what happens in this first chapter? So in this chapter, we're introduced to all of the Dursleys, and we're also introduced to McGonagall and Dumbledore when uh, Hagrid drops off Harry at the house. So my overall impression is basically that it was definitely written in the 90s, and it definitely has a lot more stereotypes than I realized. Mm -hmm. Um, Our introduction is very bare bones and not actually super helpful to really introducing ourselves to the series. Hey, y'all. Editing Maddie here. Just a quick note, I had to switch locations while recording this episode due to some circumstances beyond my control, and so the audio quality is not as great as I want it to be. It's not terrible, but it's a little echoey, and I figured something out since then, so future episodes do not have this echoey sound, but I wanted to give y'all a heads up and thank you for your patience as we are retooling and reformatting when we're recording and how we're recording for this next season. All right, back to the episode. No, there's a lot of the magic that I remember from this first part is actually coming from my memory of the movie, I think, mm-hmm. where I Dumbledore, he, you know, he appears on the street mysteriously with the music playing and the book does not yeah, actually... It's so like dark and stars in the sky and pretty... And like in the book, it's just like, he shows up, he uses a router. It's, you know, it's just, (laughs) he's got some candies with him. (laughs) It's it's definitely a little more casual. Yeah. Kind of like more information about drills and than I want to know. And I don't know. I don't want to like bash it too. Well, no, I don't really, it doesn't matter if I'm bashing it or not. It was kind of boring and I am, um, was validating for the Maddie who read this back in second grade and was like, I don't like this the first time. <laughs> so. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just like when you, like if I was reading this for the first time and I was like excited to read a book about like kids doing, going to magic school and stuff. If I read this, I'd be like, what's happening here? Why is there an old man yelling at the people he works with and calling it a good day? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a, l- a little off from what I remember it being is my overall impression. Totally. I need the I need the soundtrack playing to really make me get into reading this chapter, I found, as we were reading. Yeah. But that's okay. I think yeah. we're, we're agreed on sort of the lackluster shininess of the (laughs) beginning. So our first segment of the show is going to be called Patronus Fuel. This is something that we really love from the text and that made us really happy when we read it. I can go because I I feel very strongly. (laughs) I love the horror showing up in Privet Drive 
in his boots, in his robes. Uh, the text says, like, uh, doesn't even seem to realize that he's unwelcome in this, like, inhibited, judgmental area. And as problematic as Dumbledore is, I really love how unapologetic he is about who he is, um, mm-hmm. how self-assured. And I really read that as, like, being able to be kind of confident not just in yourself, but even in your queerness a little bit, just like, I know I may not be welcome in this space, or maybe I don't know. I just am so assured and confident that I'm willing to, you know, I have the ability to step in anywhere. And I just, I really love that. And that's the side of Dumbledore that I really like. And we don't have to talk about the other side of him right now. Um, so I really like the introduction to McGonagall and Hagrid, but McGonagall especially just because she's, um, you just get a really good view of her being really protective of Harry, who she doesn't, she hasn't even like heard the confirmed rumors about what happened to him, but she's already just worried enough to be kind of looking out for him and, and seeing what's going on and, and why Dumbledore wants to meet at this place with these horrible muggles when she... She made sure to just keep an eye on them the whole day and, and figure out what was going on, which is really cool. <laughs> yes. She's underappreciated by yeah. especially people within the text. Yeah. Because I think like Dumbledore shows up and it's just like, yep, this is where we're going. And she's like, I've actually like been watching them all day long mm-hmm. and have some some info for you. <laughs> Without even knowing the whole everything what was going on. That's so much like compassion and also like being on top of it and knowing like you can want to do the right thing, but you can actually go in and do the right thing without having all the information. Yeah. She's great. She's great. (laughs) So our next segment is enchantingly nasty. So this is the opposite of Patronus fuel. Basically we go in and talk about something we found very deeply frustrating from the text. Uh, Rebecca, you want to go first? Yeah, I think we both were uncomfortable with the description of the Dursleys. And it was something that's like on the first page of the book. We're already using just like really awkward descriptions of people's bodies and their necks, especially, which is a little odd. But yeah. we're just like get, just toning it, honing in on the fact that like Dursley's got no Vernon has like no neck and so you shouldn't like him because of that (laughs) and um Petunia has like twice as much neck as she should or something I'm like first of all you can't have like that's a little ridiculous to have twice as much neck as you should and Mm. that she only uses it to like look at neighbors is also just just such an odd way to introduce a character to be like the first sentence that you talk about she's just like I'm gonna talk about their necks yeah I just, I wish that we had, instead of kind of relying on this, like, here, here's a chance you get to be judgmental about someone's appearance. Instead, like, tell me about something nasty that Vernon did or something nasty that Petunia did, if that's what you really want to communicate, you know? Right, because even if she had just waited a little bit, whenever she starts talking about Vernon at work and how he's yelling at people, like, that's enough for me to not like him. I don't need to know about his neck. completely irrelevant like yeah I don't know it's it seems like something that's kind of obvious but it's been a while since I went back and read the books so it felt I haven't read them in such a long time that it really felt a little bit gross and uncomfortable in a way that I don't know that it ever has 
So that was, yeah. that's why we have this segment. So we, we can pick out those things and there are obviously probably more things that are frustrating. That's just kind of Definitely. the one like, really. It was weird just because it's on the first page. It just like made me stop for a second. Cause I was like, why is this, why is this what we're starting with? <laughs> I knew we were going to have some moments like this, but I didn't know it would happen. Paragraph four. Paragraph two. It's not even. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so our next segment of the show is called Akio Fandom. And that's where we're going to try to bring in some fan art or fan fiction or other podcasts from people that really addresses different aspects of the chapters that should have been better. And so taking this art or fan fiction, we can look at things that could be improved and how it could have been improved and kind of create our own headcanons of how this should be better. So for this segment, I went hunting for some fan fiction. Um, I, one of the things that really bothered me about this chapter was the lack of imagination about how Harry's life was going to turn out. Um, you know, I, we can go on about like, yes, but it's, you know, it's about, um, what should we call it? Like the, the love of the mother and having the blood of Lily, that's what made it, you know, that's what made the spell protection spell the work the way that it did. But I, I really love, um, this first fan fiction I found underfoot under moon, um, in the very first chapter, they talk about how the blood protection spell could have been extended to somebody who loved Lily. Um, and so they named Sirius as Harry's godfather, as somebody who loved Lily, who was one of his dearest friends, and transfer that protection spell to Sirius. Um, and then I did not read the whole series because it was, it's very, the whole fiction was like multiple chapters, like 80,000 words. Um, but essentially it's like a slow burn wolf star raising Harry in Grimald place. It's very sweet. Um, a very, if you're looking to like fill a hole in your heart with an AU, this is like, it's so, so, so great. And we'll have links to all of the, these that we talk about. Um, what are your thoughts on a fiction like that? I think that's honestly how it should have been. Cause I think that I feel like the only point of the Dursleys is just, as he says, is just like, I don't want him to grow up with a big head or whatever. But if he grew up with somebody who is close to Lily and to James, then I feel like they could have raised him perfectly well without having to be abusive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially, I think that, uh, you know, this situation could have changed Sirius that we saw in the series from being the impulsive, reckless person into somebody more kind and um, caring, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, Remus is great, and I think he would have been a great dad for Harry. And I love, uh, I love a world where he's not just like, well, he's a werewolf, so he's gonna struggle forever. <laughs> you know, that's not very imaginative. Yeah. Um. So the second fic that I found is called To the Moon and Back. And this one is just a pure, like, it's very fluffy, wonderful. Um, it's told through text messages. Um, it's another one where Wolfstar raised Harry. So the whole thing is just like 
group texts between um, Harry, Remus, and Sirius about like, um, you know, you slept in too long, we were supposed to have breakfast, but now it's 2.30, very <laughs> modernized. Um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, you're gonna, you know, Harry and Ron are trying to play pranks on Snape and chemistry. I think it's a like non-magical AU, um, but it's very, very cute. And it was just nice to see like a, you know, Harry was so functional. <laughs> um, you know, he wasn't, wasn't so mad and upset. Nobody was, you know, it was kind of like this, you know, we had these really horrible traumas happen, but we've been able to recover because, you know, we have support systems and relationships. So I, I definitely recommend it if you're just feeling down and you want to smile, <laughs> you know, it's a good one. I love that. Great. <laughs> right? I love it. I think it's so silly that she writes this whole children's book about children who aren't allowed to be children. <laughs> I know. It's, I really appreciate the, it's been such a long time since I've gotten into fan fiction and this has been really nice to dive back in and remind myself like how I think I forgot how much fan fiction actually helped me in some ways more than the books did. Um, yeah. The, the last one was a very brief one and I chose it because it was very topical. Um, it's basically a wolf star raised Harry, um, you know, Harry still had to defeat Voldemort, but Sirius and Remus are alive and now they're in quarantine uh, because of coronavirus. <laughs> and so they're just sitting cooped up, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, this is terrible. And because they're all cooped up, Sirius is feeling super guilty about um, turning the secret keeper role over to Peter. And it's like the moment he's finally dealing with it. And um, it's what it's called, chasing your own tail. And I just, I love that for that moment with Sirius where he's just like, because that's what that feels like sometimes, I guess, that like you just feel so guilty about something and you can't let go of it. So, you know, chasing yourself in circles and uh, it's a really quick read and uh, just, it's just nice. It's really nice seeing all of these. I love Wolfstar. It's one of my favorite ships. So. And I think that that's so much better than like in the text where the only way that Sirius gets to handle any of that is by going to prison and being constantly reminded of all of his negative feelings all the time, which is just like, I know it's supposed to be horrible, but it's just even more horrible than she really explains. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's a lot of brushing off of really severe issues in these books mm -hmm. that I haven't realized before. And fan fiction authors do a much better job of, tackling the ramifications and imagining different outcomes than these horrible, torturous situations that people have to go through. Yeah. Our next segment is the Department of Social Justice. So in this segment, we talk about social justice, identity politics, current events, uh, pretty much anything political, but generally hovering around social justice issues. So in this chapter, Dumbledore is really frustrating. He just decides that Harry needs to be left in this situation that 
we we know and he is a smart enough person to understand that it has a very high chance of becoming an abusive situation and just you know decides that he knows best and it's very frustrating to see and i feel like there's some of this that's tied into like very patriarchal attitudes yeah definitely because like mcgonagall comes in and says you know i've been watching them all day these are the worst sort of people and he's just like yeah but you know it's fine (laughs) i i think that it kind of justifies abuse and you know because (laughs) because you know then he won't turn out arrogant that that makes it okay and that doesn't make it okay um Mm -hmm. nothing makes it okay especially because like she says like these are the worst kind of people like and he's gonna be like he's gonna have all these incredible things and he's just like exactly which is why he needs to be brought here and i'm like that's not what that means (laughs) He, he doesn't listen to her at all and we know from later books there are multiple times that he not only ignores her but like omits important information like it would have been relevant to tell her by the way harry has to stay here because of a blood protection spell you know also like who decided that like in what world is dumbledore responsible for the chain of custody of children that is a great question <laughs> <laughs> like just cuz he's like the headmaster of a school that he's going to go to in 11 years maybe but it doesn't it doesn't line up that he gets to decide that it really doesn't and that he gets to like just direct everybody you know like oh no Hagrid you go pick up Harry like you I'm sure there's so much other stuff happening behind the scenes well we know he's going to parties and stuff but yeah he said he stopped by like a whole bunch of them I'm just like why why did you do that if you knew that it was a- <laughs> why weren't you with McGonagall watching this family right there are many things you could have been doing with your time but it, it feels very uh just like don't don't be like this <laughs> just so nonchalant about the entire like life of it and we find out later on that like being put with his family is a major aspect of why Harry winds up being the way he is. So it's, it's such a major decision for Harry. And he just seems to have made it within a few minutes and just gone with it. Yeah. Which is wild. He's very cold about the whole situation. He's very detached from what Harry will go through. And it, it, it makes it really frustrating later on in the series where he's like, I was so wrong. It was because I loved you and didn't want you to be hurt. But this doesn't really seem to suggest that that's what Dumbledore cares about. Yeah. I don't see really any love from him. No, not, not. And I makes me kind of wonder, like, is he afraid that Harry is going to be like Voldemort? And if that is the case, then why is he just shoving him off into a situation that could be reflective of Voldemort's instead of finding a better way to take care of him? Right. Because with both McGonagall and Hagrid, we do see love from them for Harry. We do see concern for Harry. And with Dumbledore, we, we just don't see any of that. And then later on, we're just told that he cared so much about him, but we don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know this is something that a lot of, you know, that other podcasts have talked about and, you know, this isn't new stuff. I think, I know for me, myself, I was super, Dumbledore was my favorite character up until about four years ago. 
And it's been really reflective of my own mental health experience. And especially with gaslighting, where Mm -hmm. I totally believed all this stuff, like that Dumbledore did love him the whole time. And in, you know, becoming more familiar with my own experiences, then going back and reading this, it hurts doubly because it's like, wait, you tricked me too? Dang it. (laughs) I think it's, it's really nice to believe that there's some like, old grandfatherly figure who knows everything and he knows best and he's going to take care of everything and that's a really like nice idea but it's just it just doesn't end up being true and that sucks yeah it does it just just kind of blindsides you at the end whenever you realize that like he doesn't know what he's doing totally wondering how much of this will be just like grieving about how i wish dumbledore had been better (laughs) (laughs) but I also think it's interesting in the chapter that whenever McGonagall says, how is it possible that Voldemort wasn't able to kill him? Dumbledore just says, we may never know. And I'm like, well, (laughs) but you know, later in the book, (laughs) so you have some ideas. It just, it's just your first kind of introduction of the fact that he hides things from people who could, who could learn from these these instances and he could use that information but Dumbledore just just like with where the baby goes he just he really is just convinced that he knows best and that he he's got this all under control which is a little relatable sometimes it totally is (laughs) I've got this it's fine I know what I'm doing Um, makes it sort of frustrating because you get that but then it just happens with him it's a mistake that he has not learned from not to either no, not at all. So our next segment is called Chocolate with Madame Pomfrey, where we imagine mental health care in the wizarding world and the implication for readers. So-called because our only canonical introduction to mental health is Harry getting a piece of chocolate one time in one book. So <laughs> if we had had actual mental health care in chapter one, what would it look like? So many... in. I like to imagine we'd had it even before and the Dumbledore had gotten some therapy for, you know, I don't know, being in love with a dictator. And Yeah, I mean, he's 100 years old, at least by now, right? So <laughs> at some point, he should have talked about his feelings. He should have. And I argue that if he had, we may not have a Voldemort. We may not have a... Potter's being killed, you know, there's, I think there's a lot that could have potentially changed. And it's reflected in that attitude of like, you know, oh, no, like Harry toughing it out through something bad is much better than him turning out, you know, arrogant or big headed. And that's a, you know, Dumbledore avoiding his own emotions and not dealing with them it's constantly creating these problems for everybody because he's not willing to say maybe these horrible feelings and mental health problems that will arise from this situation are bad for Harry. And I don't know, I feel like mental health care helps you realize those things in a way that ignoring your own emotions does not. I agree. I think that if he had processed what happened with Tom Riddle and processed his grief over and his guilt over the fact that a child that he had you know helped to educate had turned into Voldemort then he would have 
recognize that, you know, kids actually need love as babies (laughs) and maybe putting him into a situation where he's not going to get that except for like, you know, some like spell that his mom put on him, some project protection from his mom before he could even like talk or think isn't enough love to prevent, you know, lifelong problems. Yeah. I feel like seeing this, seeing Dumbledore, a Dumbledore who has not made any kind of progress on himself kind of contributes to the problem of just that we don't, we're constantly seeing people who don't take care of their mental health, these people who are in power and who seem put together, but we know that Dumbledore is not put together at all. And it, I don't know, I feel like it, I think it's also a little hard looking at that knowing that we have a leader right now who does not have any mental health care going on yeah absolutely and how important that is for the functioning of our society and that if mm-hmm. people who were in leadership positions were people who had mental health care then maybe you know maybe we wouldn't have a wizarding world that looked the way that it does that is so um so prejudiced that is so I mean, honestly, sometimes just backwards and doesn't function well at all because the laws don't make sense. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like holding on to tradition and holding on to fear written into the laws of the wizarding world. And I think, you know, more emphasis on mental health care for communities can help with processing these difficult emotions about our past so that we don't continue to repeat the mistakes that we made before. Right. And I think, I know that we talked, like you said in the beginning that Dumbledore's self-assurance and like his confidence is something that it's nice to see like the way he walks about, like just confident in himself, but it also can be a little bit concerning when it comes to deciding on other people's futures, like Harry's where he's just so confident that he's making the right decision when like he hasn't processed that he hasn't talked about it with anybody else. He's just, putting all of this on his impulses. And I think that that's, that's something that he should work on. We want that kind of confidence after you've been to therapy or taken medication, not, not beforehand. No, exactly. (laughs) Dangerous. We know it's dangerous. So aside from Dumbledore, there's also the Dursleys who are the other kind of main characters in this, in this chapter. They also could have used some therapy before this chapter. Um, They definitely deserved better than what they got in this chapter. Um, Mm -hmm. Dumbledore should have given them more than a baby and a letter describing, you know, the murder of Lily's sister. How shocking and traumatizing and irresponsible and what a what a different life harry could have had if dumbledore hadn't just dropped him off like an amazon package (laughs) and she also like she's already hurt the moment she opens the door it says i think she screams like she's like already very anxious about the fact that there is a baby sitting on her doorstep and then and they're not the kind of people who you're like gonna be like i should drop my baby off with somebody i'm gonna drop him off with the dursleys like that's not something they're expecting in life they're not like saints or anything um so she's already horrified by that and then to open the note and we know later on whenever 
Hagrid comes to pick Harry up, we know that they know exactly how Harry's parents actually died, which means it was in that note because that's all they got. So to have a baby sitting in front of you and then to be like, well, what's happening? Why, why is there a baby here? Let me read this note. To be like, oh, yeah, your sister was, like, horribly murdered. Yeah. Like, but- the, the amount of counseling I would need after that <laughs> would be lifelong. And I just, I like to imagine a different universe where, you know, at the very least, Petunia went into grief counseling and, you know, processed what happened and then maybe somehow ended up forgiving her sister and realizing, you know, her feelings for Harry that were negative. She had been projecting um, after everything that happened in her past and maybe could have been a better caregiver and not, you know, I don't know that they still would have told Harry that he was a wizard. I, with what Dumbledore gave them who, you know, (laughs) it's hard to figure out how you would do that, but maybe, maybe there could have been a world where Petunia and Vernon were adequate or even decent caregivers and nourished Harry instead of abused him. And I think it's also partially just because they weren't given a choice. Like, I think if they were told, like, your your sister died, their child needs someone to take care of them, like, they really need someone who will protect them, they should probably be with family, then maybe they would have talked about it and been like, we can do this, we've this is the right thing to do. Instead, it was just like, this is what you're doing now. Here's yeah. the baby, bye. Which is is an old, it, like a trauma in itself and surrounded with all the other traumas that they're getting. Like it's, I think it's just too much. Yeah. It doesn't, it obviously doesn't excuse what they did, but it no. just, it shows, you know, there's just this cycle of um, people traumatizing other people where one person does something and then that leads to somebody else getting hurt when these things aren't, you know, when these things are, aren't addressed in like a mental health care setting and the feelings aren't taken care of. Um, and I keep saying a mental health care setting, like obviously there are like lots of different ways you can process emotions. Sometimes even like just if you talk to your friend about something, uh, it can help out. And it doesn't seem like, Petunia or Vernon probably had a chance to do that because they were so worried about, you know, oh my gosh, he's a wizard. We can't tell them, you know, we can't tell anybody what happened. Right. He, he didn't even, Vernon never even told his sister, like what was going on. And I know that on one hand, like they need to protect Harry, like that is a way to protect Harry of not telling people what he is, but like, that's never how it's represented. It's represented as if we tell people they're going to judge us. It's not, if we tell people that puts Harry at risk, which means that it, it's a lot of resentment on Harry for having, they feel like they need to hide all these things because, you know, because of how they're going to be judged after that. And that just puts so much onto Harry. Yeah. Everyone deserved so much more in this situation. And, um, at the very least, more chocolate. There wasn't enough chocolate in the chapter. So. <laughs> I know that, honestly, play therapy is a thing. And I think that both um, Harry and Dudley, if they had been allowed to play together more as children, I think that they would have had a better relationship. And I think that it would have been a lot less confusing for the both of them because we do see that Dudley's very affected by what happens. Yes. Like he's he's so confused 
by everything going on. And I think that if he had been allowed to really be a brother, which I don't think he would have been opposed to, like we see him loving being an only child and wanting all these things. But I think if he had from the start been allowed to be a big brother and be allowed to just play with Harry and be children with Harry, I think that parents would have seen that, you know, Harry's okay. This isn't a bad thing. And I think that it would have it would have allowed them both to kind of grow up understanding each other better. But I think that that's also might just be from Petunia, who is scared of what happened with her sister happening to the boys. Of like whenever, um, whenever I think that she's scared that whenever Harry finds out he's a wizard and goes away, it's going to be exactly like whenever Lily found out that she was a wizard and went away. Yeah, you were so so right, and it it makes me think of there is so it's in Half Blood Prince where Dumbledore tells the Dursleys, like, Dudley is the one who has suffered more at your hands, which is, you know, not about the merits of that necessarily, about who suffered more, but about mm-hmm. how um, how truly terrible it is to to be, like, brought up to be a hateful person and to be a prejudiced person how harmful it is that Vernon and Petunia are kind of brainwashing Dudley into having these hateful beliefs about Harry and people who have magic. And that, that, like, like you said, that affects Dudley and that affects his development. And, um, you know, nobody goes around, (laughs) a kid doesn't just like decide to start, being a bully and abusive without examples and Mm -hmm. it's really it's really disappointing that that this cycle was set into motion like this when it didn't have to be it didn't have to be like this no i think that i think that petunia definitely put all of her feelings about lily and all of her guilt and everything into make trying to make sure that you know the brothers didn't end up like she and Lily did, even to the point where, like, they're, they never refer to Harry as their kid, which is not necessary. I mean, you know, adoption is tricky, and there's all kinds of different situations. And no, he's not technically their son, but he is a child that they're raising. And yeah. he is, you know, I'm pretty sure legally Dudley's brother, and he's never treated that way. He's treated as an outsider, even though from the time he has a baby, this is where he's lived. Yeah, no sense of home, despite the fact he's, you know, in the safest, quote, the safest, best place. And yeah, I'm sure there will be a lot more to say about Petunia in the next chapter as well. Mm -hmm. I do wish she'd been given more nuance because she's in such an interesting position as a character. And I would have liked to have had her have a more active and positive role in Harry's life, even if it wasn't like that much better. I just, it would have been, it, it, you know, it comes back down to these, these like, you know, caricature descriptions that we get of them at the beginning is there's no imagination about the actual nuance that can happen in a situation like that. It just has to be this awful, torturous thing. Court, you know, the way the text is written, there's no escape from that. 
Right, and I think that, like, you, he lost his parents as a baby to, a you know, a tyrannical serial killer. Like, he has a bad life from the get-go, and to just, like, pile on all these, like, bad things just to make sure that we can tell he's had a bad childhood just seems kind of unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's hard to imagine a different world for ourselves when this is part of the story that we're reading into, I guess. It's important to be able to imagine ourselves out of these situations and not just think, well, my aunt has a really long neck, so this is how it's going to (laughs) be. So our final segment of the show is Into the Pensive. In this segment, we reflect on what this chapter means for us, our thoughts about it, and how we can move forward from it with a different understanding. So looking at this, I was thinking a lot about how we do not have to be, our lives and the paths that we take don't have to be strictly governed by our origin story and our past. They will obviously shape us, like Harry's life and the situation he was put in shaped him. It's not about escaping the past, but realizing that we do have a choice to shape ourselves and that um, there's always going to be some kind of status quo in our lives. There's always going to be the way, the things that we think have to continue or the patterns that we can't break. but we can break them. And the quote about Privet Drive looking silent and tidy under the inky sky, the last place you'd expect astonishing things to happen, it reminds me every time I read it that you can make these changes in unexpected places in your life. And just because it doesn't feel like something can change, that something astonishing won't happen, that doesn't mean that's the truth. And that's really nice to reflect on as I'm, you know, as I am trying to figure out how to use these texts in the way that I did when I was younger, it's nice to feel like, okay, I can change the way I engage with this so that I can still get that, you know, happy, warm, fuzzy feeling inside like I did when I was nine years old. Yeah, I think in the same theme as as change, it's like when I first read this and even like for years, I never thought about the fact that Harry was put with the Dursleys. Like, it was never a question to me of, like, should that have happened? It's just like, well, that's the way it was. That's the way she wrote it. That's how it goes, and it makes sense. And looking back at it, it doesn't make sense, and it didn't need to happen. Like, there's so many... I mean, the Wizarding World is a little bit of a mess, but I'm sure there had to have been some other option for children who are orphaned, other than, you know, wherever Tom Riddle grew up, which was horrible, or wherever Harry grew up, which was also horrible. And if there's not another option, there should have been. And that's up to, you know, the author to create a space where someone can can do that. And she intentionally did not create a space where Harry could have a good life. And that's, it says a lot. Yeah. It feels a little bit like, I mean, it is a lack of imagination, you know, that there couldn't be something better for them. And I'm glad that 
I'm glad that we can imagine something better and that we have fan fiction to imagine something better for Harry and for Sirius and Remus and all of these people. I'm fandom rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it kind of reminds me of like a series of unfortunate events where they're just like, well, these kids are orphans. Let's just throw them with whatever random person we can find. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> it's-, <laughs> it's like just because someone is related to the child does not mean that that's where you put them. That's not how how that's not how childcare works. That's not how like adoption works. It's not how any of this works. <laughs> is Dumbledore Mr. Poe in this situation? <laughs> it really is though. <laughs> Join us next week to discuss Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, we are Beyond the Veil Pod. And on Twitter, we are Beyond the Veil MN. Until next time, Mischief Managed. managed.